talking to the bars live now and I'm like, wait, what we are? We're live right now, but yeah, I sometimes the technology gets a little confusing. Yeah. So yeah, now we're live. Uh, we had a, we were just talking right before we just got on live right now about how there was a time where she was uh, streaming the juice, right. but it had um, my you know a Democrat and Republican walking on a bar banner, and I get notifications whenever we come live. And I was like, wait, we're live? And it's like eight in the morning and I'm like, just kidding. I like clicked the wrong button when they went into the streaming service. So yeah, it, technology can be iffy on. It might be iffy today, by the way, we do have a little microphone problem. So if you don't hear me again, it is again, a conspiracy from Cindy. She's trying to sign. That's right. Yeah. Or I mean, no, it's just that this, uh, this new computer that I got for work is fantastic. However, it uses this now universal USB-C plug uh, for everything. However, um, if you want to plug in anything with a regular USB, USB or whatever, you have to have an adapter. And I forgot the adapter because yeah. my kids and I were playing video games last night <laughs> on, the, on the TV and we needed the HDMI. So and that's fine. The TV, TV games are super fun, right? We do that with our family too. We do that Jackbox games. Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> I grew up, well, I even grew up before it was Jackbox with the, you know, you don't know, you know Jack's yeah. And so that's what I got really hooked on. Um, yeah. That's just all nostalgia. But my, we usually play, um, I forgot what it's called, but it's it's the one word, it's Quip, Quiplash. Yes. <laughs> that's the one play. It's super fun. Yep. Quiplash. Fibbage is good too, where you have to make up a lie. It's a like. You have to pick. My my sister wants always wants to do the picture one, and I hate those because I can't draw. My kids love playing the picture ones. Yeah, I can't do the because they're little, so they can all <laughs> draw. We did uh, an old one called Civic Doodle, Civic which is Doodle? where you're pretending to make like a public art. Oh god, and it's really fun. It's it's a goofy game, but it's a great thing you play with like your own devices on the computer. Yeah, on the computer on the phone. That's, that's super fun. Um, definitely a cool family thing that that gets to be done and uh mm -hmm. also this uh yesterday was rosh hashanah and everything right. so for i should know this i was raised jewish but and actually we i was uh at a tosh Khalid service today uh with a uh, rabbi bruce diamond who's the rabbi who's uh, been a major part of my life um down here in lee county very good friend of mine and so we did the Tashli services, which when you cast your bread in the water and it symbolizes your sins and it's wonderful service. And I did get to hear the show far yesterday, though I was working, so I couldn't go to the Rosh Hashanah service. Fantastic. Well, happy new year. To happy new year. Giving <laughs> you sweetness, right? Yeah, sweet new year. Honey, which I didn't get it to, which I now I'm feeling bad about because, but I am getting some is coming up my way with this beautiful brownie sundae oh my so there's my sweet new year right there <laughs> it's been like three weeks four weeks that i've been waiting for it to happen and i didn't bring my kids so he's got one today <laughs> like the, the each time we only had enough for either me or the children and unfortunately children take precedent when it comes to sundays so that's good. So this is our weekly broadcast. So Democrat and Republican walk into the a bar brought to you by Big Mouth Media. And I am your Democrat, Dr. Cindy Banyan. And I'm, of course, your Republican, Sean Hartman. So yeah, so that's uh, different stuff going on. We're after Labor Day here. So campaigns are kicking up into full yep. year. Well, official start of campaign season. I actually saw uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was on one of the talk shows. And then Donald Trump actually was on Meet the Press. 
uh, with, and so Meet the Press, for those who don't follow, they recently switched hosts. Chuck Todd has retired, right. and Christine Walker is the new host. So right. all five of the Sunday talk shows are not either hosted or co-hosted by women. Mm-hmm. So it's a historic moment. But uh, for her first um, interview and for her first major show, it was 30 Minutes of President Trump, which was quite interesting. Um, it, was, it was very fascinating. He uh, was very uh, defiant on a lot of things. I think the most notable thing, though, was how he approached abortion. Um, he is definitely not taking a strong pro-life stance. He's being very wishy-washy. And it's it's clear to me that he's like definitely looking at the polling behind it and everything, Mm -hmm. but he's like saying we need to find a number that we can compromise on for an abortion ban. But the problem is, is, is he's, he's very fluid. He doesn't really have anything. He doesn't, he's not standing on a position on the abortion issue. And I don't know if the pro-life people are going to be super happy about that. So um, very interesting interview, very, very interesting way to start, your meet the press career from Christine Walker is to start with the Donald Trump interview, but yeah. uh, you know, go big or go home. That's right. <laughs> yes. yeah. You know, so. but, um, but yeah, no campaign season is of course in full swing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were talking, um, you know, one of the things that's been going on is, is all these labor stuff. We ended oh, yeah. the uh, show a few weeks ago where I was talking about how uh, labor and labor unions are important to free markets. And we're seeing, I think now with the United Auto Workers, and I think you have a little bit more information than I do because Mm -hmm. I'm just catching this today or yesterday. I didn't even realize they were on strike until yesterday. And then they're now coming back to the table and and having a discussion with the auto automotive industry. But um, get um, definitely let's talk about the one to talk about. Right. Yeah. So what what we see is the UAW, the United Auto Workers are striking against all three of the big three automakers that that's Ford. uh, Ford, GM, and <laughs> why do I know that? I'm from Detroit. Ford, GM, Chry- Ford, GM GM Chrysler. Or... Nope. No, Chrysler, GM. Chrysler, it's Chrysler, Fiat. So no. um, anyway, so uh, and now Daimler. Anyway, it's a whole big yeah. mess. Um, so anyway, so they decided to uh, pro- um, Thursday night, there was a deadline at midnight to come up with an agreement with the auto workers, and that lapsed, and so they began a strike. They started striking against a few specific plants, trying to, you know, inflict some economic pain on the companies. Well, not like disrupting everything, like the entire supply chain and bringing the economy to the halt. So it's very strategic in how they're doing it. Um, And of course, now they're being, being brought back to the table. Um, but yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. Was, no, that was, oh, that, I mean, that was basically it. Okay. That was it. I mean, some of the issues, of course, are uh, the parental issues of pay mm-hmm. and what the auto uh, UAW president was really talking about was that, you know, in the downturn for manufacturing in the United States, which was the early part of the 2000s, especially after the recession, 2009, 2010, mm. they conceded a lot. Um, and the companies, you know, GM itself went bankrupt and they had to give up their pensions. Yeah. Even. And so the the unions themselves feel like they've given up so much. Mm-hmm. And then these companies that have come back from the brink of collapse of and, you know, the executives and the shareholders are making money, but the wages for the workers have really stagnated. So that's what they are asking for is mm. more uh, pay to be to make up what they had given up. Yeah, which is which is obviously fair, especially if, if you know, 
when the downturn happened, they voluntarily gave up those benefits as opposed to <clears throat> what usually happens, which is the corporation decides to take it away anyway, and then there's a fight between the business and the labor. I mean, that's what's happened even historically. So many of these early labor movements and labor fights in the early 19th, uh, late 19th, early 20th century mm -hmm. were all about you know, the company taking away something and then the labor movement fighting back. And so the fact that they were willing to even do that is 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 applaudable. And the fact that they should absolutely, that they aren't being rewarded for that is ridiculous. Um, again, we're getting, and especially within the Republican Party, at least rhetorically, we're starting to become a more pro-worker party. The problem is, is, is how does that uh, impl uh, show itself in policy? And that's what everybody wants you know, to know. Exactly. How does that show up in policy? And it showed up in rhetoric. It showed up, not showed up in policy. Which, which again, we have to start, we have to start rethinking how we approach the policy now, too, because we have to be pro-worker. I think it's very important to uh be uh pro-worker, especially with these these auto workers who are out there doing a lot of difficult work, basically in in the one of the main manufacturing industries that drive our economy and the fact that you know they sacrificed and then now the you know the ceos have are you know all the corporate executives are making all this money and the people who are actually doing the physical labor they're right. actually doing the work aren't making as much it's only fair to 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 see that um imbalance shift not even shift fully so that way it's like oh the ceo makes nothing but you know this you know find ways to provide more funding to the actual people doing the actual work. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's mm. what the unions are there is to be a counterbalance to the shareholders and the executives. Mm. Um, so the, you know, the UAW is also uh, advocating for the COLA, the cost of living adjustments, yeah. uh, so that they can get regular raises to keep up with the cost of, of course, living. Yeah. Uh, that's something that they're advocating for. And, and coming out in this debate has also been, like you said, the, the discrepancy between CEO pay and mm -hmm. the average worker pay. Um, that gap has been widening in yeah. both the auto industry and all industries across oh, the United yeah. States uh, then, since the 70s. Yeah, and that's not to say since that right CEOs don't salaries and all that type of stuff, but again, so do your workers. And as long as that that's a fair discrepancy in which your workers are making more when you make more. That's where I see the. That's where I see it. It would be fair if oh the CEO is making three hundred times more than the worker. If the worker is making twenty yeah. to thirty dollars an hour, that's fine by me. So so basically, it was broken down that the CEO of GM makes more in one day than any of the people who are on strike. Okay, yeah, that's pretty. So she makes one hundred and fifteen thousand plus dollars a day. Um, and yeah, that's more than anybody who's on strike. So this is what we're really talking about. So she, you know, mm. the, the CEOs are getting millions and millions and millions. Um, and do, are they really providing that level of value? Very questionable in some circumstances. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's stock buybacks. That's the other big push, not necessarily with yeah. the unions, but with people who are looking at fair labor practices, because, and, and this is why you do need unions. You do need organized labor to kind of counterbalance the uh, the CEO and the um, well, the C-suite and the uh, board is because the board is looking out for shares. And if that means exploiting labor, they will absolutely do that. In stock buybacks, if you're not really familiar with them, what they are is when there is a certain level of profit, they basically just give them back to their shareholders rather than reinvesting it back in the company. So the shareholders get a windfall. And um, so the this whole 
concept there's like a trickle down of any way, shape, yeah. or form actually never works because of the existence of uh, staff buybacks. Yeah, no. Um, so again, it it goes back to, um, especially with Republicans talk about, that's the point of, you know, cutting taxes for corporations and cutting taxes for these rich individuals is so that way it does trickle down. And as you're saying, it isn't. So again, that's where, again, we have to start supporting labor there. Um, especially over corporations, and especially if we're going to be giving these corporations tax breaks. So if we're going to be giving you tax breaks and you're not allowing that to trickle down to your workers, yeah, you sure then should why should why are we giving you tax breaks? We I actually would support corporate tax rates, corporate tax breaks um, linked directly to job creation and to worker pay. I mean that makes the most sense because be if fantastic. we're talking about if we need to with the concept of trickle down, I think the real issue with trickle down is that it doesn't, doesn't always, it doesn't, yeah, exactly. It There's doesn't no always trickle down. We need to force it to trickle down. That's the problem is it needs yeah, to be. It was, yeah. it was never designed. By it, it was, it was, that was rhetoric. And it was always supposed to be a money grab at the top. It has been very successful at that. The Gini coefficient in the United States has been moving us towards higher levels of discrepancy between top and bottom. That is why we have a very small group of people in the United States who own 99% of the wealth. Um, this has been something people have been talking about. Actually, this whole, the concept of the 99% versus the 1% uh, sprung both the Occupy Wall Street movement and the Tea Party movement, yeah. because it was something that different, um, even though different political spectrum, people thought was really unfair in the and system. Even, and even to this day, a lot of Tea Party and MAGA Republicans have a real big issue with corporate elites and the amount of power they have in our lives, which they do. But that is a very common theme with populist movements. Um, so again, yeah, if you're gonna, if we're gonna be going over here with with cutting your corporate taxes. That taxes needs to be going. Those those tax cuts actually need to be going to reinvesting in your workers or into something similar to something like that. But um, great, yeah. But again, that's something that again kind of brushed into it at the tail end of our thing because of our previous episode because uh, I mentioned it and I still believe this that the that labor unions are such an important part of free market economics because what a labor union does is it allows the worker to be equal to the corporation mm -hmm. and that's where we need to start seeing it as and that equalization allows for a better free market equilibrium right. you know between labor and business so I'm a big supporter of labor unions and I'm really looking forward to seeing what I can do to um promote pro-worker Republican conservative policies, but it is looking for any pro-worker yeah. <laughs> policies on the Republican side. But, um, you know, I think that would be great. We also, by the way, have um, other organizations that are currently striking. We have the SAG, SAG and then the writers. It's a hard one for me because I am also a screenwriter um, and I'm actually going to be doing a film festival next week where I'm trying to find an agent, but I'm actually not a WGA member, but definitely support what they're, where they're trying to fight for, because, you know, if you want to be a writer, like I want to be a professional screenwriter, but in order to be a professional screenwriter, I need to make enough money to do it. And that's one of the things they're talking about is how writing has become a freelance position and they can't, you know, make a living off of being a writer. And, sure. you know, you should expect if, you have, if you're if you in a profession and good at a profession that you can make money off of it. Sure. You should at least have enough to survive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and interestingly on that, you know, um, 
that I have seen a video recently that was interesting. And to be fair, I haven't checked the numbers, but it does seem very similar, but that um, basically the video was asserting that the we're experiencing what might be described as a silent depression right now, because the average incomes right now are less compared to the PPP. So it was like the equivalent dollar amount in 1930. So we are actually on average poorer than we were directly after the Great Depression. I haven't heard anything. I've heard the term, but I didn't read too much into it. But that is an interesting thing to think about, but it certainly doesn't feel that way. I mean, if you think about like our comforts and our luxuries that even with with poor people with or with people with low income, you know, still get to have compared to the 1930s and even compared to the 19, not even technologically advancements, even ignoring all of that. I mean, I don't see the, um, I guess you could say the realistic similarities in everyday life. Similarities were that our wages have flattened yeah. and stagnated, mm-hmm. our food costs have skyrocketed, our gas costs have skyrocketed, yeah. and our housing costs have skyrocketed. And yeah. those are three of the major contributors to cost of living in yeah. general. So while you know the wages have stayed here, our cost of living are now here. And especially some of the most basic things like our housing costs have gone so high mm. that they're taking a larger and larger proportion of yeah, okay. of the money that we make. That makes that makes sense. Yeah, there is definitely uh, more of a percentage of of you know oh, okay. what we make out of our lives is basically going into stuff such as rent and housing costs. Um, for most people, because I don't drive, I bike everywhere, so it's not for me, thankfully. But a lot of people have a lot of car payments and costs when it comes to yep. gas and the food costs, yep. obviously going up, like you said, all these inflationary issues. You know, um, and it's not just it's, inflation of right now. This is yeah. like cumulative. Yeah, of too. course. Yeah, this isn't just just Biden's inflation that happened. Now this is over. You mean the pandemic inflation? <laughs> She wasn't. It was. It was the global pandemic-related yeah. inflation, and Trump uh, and Biden actually his FEC helped to bring it down to reasonable rates, which really, really bugs the Republicans because they hate to see Democrats have a, a, a economic win. But however, most economic wins come at the hands of Democrats anyway. Okay, I only let her say all of that because my my brownie. Like I'm going to get all this. Said. No, um. <laughs> but anyway, the- <laughs> look. Actually, ironically, yeah, inflation tends to be more. If we're being realistic, inflation issues are much more complicated than one president or another. Let's let's be let's be real about it. So we can call it Biden inflation all we want. At the end of the day, there are multiple factors when it comes to inflation. It's not just you know printing money either, as I think Milton Friedman would say. Where it's like, oh, we're just printing so much money, and that causes inflation. That is not. That is a part of it. It is a part of it. Is- that's quantitative easing, right? And that's one of the tools in the tool book in, in terms of how to create, um, how to bolster your economy, right? Mm, yeah. um, but that was actually a stimulus and that is what was done. We didn't do it during the most recent time, but we did it during the 2008 or 2009 um, uh, recession. And I am not a monetary policy expert, so I have no, I only- I know a lot about monetary policy. I know very little. And most people don't. I that's flunked, why it's I like economics. Or taxes or something. I flunked economics like three times. I was actually, and I kept, but I kept going and I kept going to the same professor because he was like an Austrian school professor, like very libertarian, but no, very old guy. 
So he was like an old wizard libertarian, and I just loved taking him, and I just kept taking him. He was super hard. I kept failing. I failing because that's actually evidence. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago school. Well, I wouldn't know. I failed. I wouldn't know. I kept failing economics. I have a minor in economics, and I. I do want to. I do want to learn it. I do want to. Well, listen, this is a challenge, and and I think the thing. <laughs> The thing for me is that, you know, I've actually gravitated towards modern monetary theory recently, and that's because it actually fits into what I know and have known for two decades, uh, teaching and researching in the space as well. And that is that the economy is what we believe it is. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like the part that's so wild to me. It's a, it's a, it's this thing that it, we just created and it's like, it works if we believe it's going to work. Yeah. It is kind like, of crazy to think about it like you're that, like, but you're not entirely so All of these things that we talk about related to the economy is all about, like, how do we get people to continue to believe that it's working? It is. It's consumer, <laughs> consumer confidence, the price index. Uh, like, this is, this is one of the reasons why there are so many economic shocks is because if we think that something's going to happen, then investors start pulling out their cash. Right. That it's, makes a lot of sense. It's, it's one of the reasons why we had to control so much of the uh, stuff online in terms of some of the cyber stalking. One example that I use in my class is that in 2014, when the Associated Press was hacked on Twitter, yeah. um, they somebody put out a fake tweet that said um, the president had been shot. And within minutes, minutes, not mm-hmm. the um, the stock market had lost like something like $140 oh, yeah. million dollars in value. And then it's made even worse with all these, you know, retail investor ads. You can do it on a push of a button and it's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's because actually the, some of those um, trades are automated actually. So mm-hmm. anytime that they, they see something going on online, um, they automatically sell. There's a whole lot that they have to sell. And then that can cause a crash basically. Um, and that's what had happened with that. So, but it's, it's a good example of like just how connected and built on this belief system that we have. Yeah. Um, and then the whole other component of it is that our currency is a, is a fiat currency and it's a public good and commodity, which is a little bit too wonky for here, but basically it's like, we, we, we made this thing and we believe that it has value. I mean, so yeah. So basically you're admitting modern monetary policy is all about fantasy because it's basically no i mean no art no economy our economy is fantasy which actually dollars are fantasy these are these are tokens that we have created to participate in this game that we call the economy it is a fantasy it is a fantasy it's it's that we believe that it works and we give this thing a value and And we give this thing we don't give this thing a value i mean look at bitcoin look at how bitcoin has started up and then it drops and it goes up and down it has value because people believe it has value yeah nfts too were the same thing the subject it's it was a subjective theory of value so yeah you're there are so i mean there's a plausibility what i've always understood modern monetary theory as is that there's really no reason to you you can just keep printing money in ad infinitum that's how I've always okay. So, so you, should, you should read the Deficit Myth by Stephanie Kelton if you're interested in learning about uh, modern monetary theory. But basically, it is that you can infuse dollars into the economy for certain means, but that at some point, if it's too much, that you that it will cause inflation. Okay. Inflation is the risk to the economy, but that um, that basically we can. Our budget as a federal government, as a large entity, because we have a large, robust. Um, well-respected economy 
that we can invest in what we need to invest in. It blows up this whole idea of the, that's why it's called the deficit myth, because we don't need to be worried about that because that doesn't ever come. There's no special magic day in the future yeah. when when there's too much. There's no special no magic no day in the future. Right. There's yeah. no this day when China's just going to pick up at the phone and be like, hey, we're going to cash all these out. As long as we maintain the robustness in our economy. So as long as we are producing, we have re uh, research and development, and we have strong economic uh, contributors, right? Mm -hmm. That that day will never come. Yeah, that's so just, how it. But works. That, of course, then it's assuming that we're always going to be you know, productive and doing all that type of stuff too, which is. Well, I mean, it's based on that. Yeah, and as long as you believe that the U.S. economy is working, it will work. If you start believing otherwise, then the value goes up. It's all about belief. It's all in our head. It's, it's all, all in our head. head. It's all in our collective heads. <laughs> We all believe it works. We all believe in values, just like everybody who's invested. We can't even agree if someone won an election. How are we supposed to agree if an economy? Oh no, we agree. Work? There's just a handful of people who have been led astray, <laughs> and that will happen. Just like there are certain people that mm. think that we need to focus on the deficit, and it's it's maybe misled, but it's not how the economy actually works. Mm. Very interesting. I'll, I'll have to check out that book. It definitely sounds like an interesting theory, at least to read about. Um, it's actually, it's just a description of how the economy actually works. It's not a theory. It's not like, hey, this may happen. It's okay. this is what happens. Okay. Well, speaking of deficits and budgets, I feel like we should probably transition to the fact that we're about to have another government shutdown again. That Byron Donalds and his uh, you know, Freedom Caucus, Caucus are yeah. ready to say, fuck it. And shut down the government if uh, by September 30th. I don't even think they have well, is it, well, ultimatums anymore. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is I, I haven't been hearing much about about this until now. I didn't. I, they were on summer break. Okay, they were on summer. That's why. Okay. But then again, so from what, are they planning a continuing resolution or are they just trying to? McCarthy like, has proposed a continuing resolution. However, Matt Gates basically shot fired no we're not going to do that currently what's happened is an appropriations bill has passed both the house and the senate and they are not the same because the senate passed a version yeah. that was the agreement that had been originally reached earlier this year between the republican camp and biden yep. you know certain cuts in certain areas and whatever certain yep. levels the the house uh, Republican-led House then passed another bill that had more cuts than had originally been great, agreed upon. Mm -hmm. So the two bills that have been passed are totally different bills. So even to get to a point where we have uh, uh, an appropriations bill that can go through both, it has to go through both of the chambers again. Um, mm -hmm. And they're just not agreeing because of this far-right contingent that exists in the House. Um, so that same group, and it is Byron Donalds, it is... Um, the other, there's whatever, 10, 12 people in the Freedom Caucus, yeah. Amy Big, Bobo still in? Yeah, Bobo still in. So it, it, it's saying something, by the way, when Marjorie Taylor Greene is the voice of reason in something. <laughs> when you're when, when Marjorie Taylor Taylor Greene is right against you, like, on the right side against you, the problem. Yeah. So, so they, um, and basically Matt, Matt Gates already came out and said, he's, you know, he's gonna, you know, threaten the job of Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Well, he even said, apparently he cursed in a private meeting. He's like, if you're going to make the, the motion, make the fucking motion. And I'm with them on it. I'm like, if they're going to, 
you know, put your money where your mouth is if you're going to do it and do it or don't. But look, the reality is you're dealing with a divided government. You're not going to get everything you want. I, from my understanding, if they were going based on the deal that was already made, I thought that was a pretty good deal. I think that was probably, you know, if they can get more spending. Again, I haven't read the new other bill and what were the proposed spending cuts or anything like that. So I wouldn't be able to tell you, like, if there's anything I object to or don't object to between the two bills. But the point is, is that you're the reality is you're dealing with a divided government. You have a House that is Republican that can extract spending cut provisions, which I believe they did. You have a Senate that's 50-50 even and is essentially a centrist body mm -hmm. um, who would agree to those cuts. And then you you have Joe Biden, who obviously wants all these things, but is willing to compromise on those areas, but not give up on everything. And so that's where, you know, you have to, you know, thread the needle. And they're not interested. In they're not, the Freedom Caucus is not interested in that because, again, this is what happens when you have some Republicans out there who think, oh, we won, therefore we can ram everything we want in. No, that's not how that works in our Republican form of government. We are always talking about whether or not we're a democracy or a republic. The point is, whatever we are, it's a representative government. And that government represents various groups of people and various factions, and you have to work within those. Yep. And they don't seem to understand that reality. And you have that. I think they do. I think they don't care. I think they don't care. It's all about like getting what they want. It's and that's power. the point. And and I was really disappointed when I hear some of the, the con Congress uh, congressional representatives saying things like, oh, the government will shut down and you'll not even know it. That's horseshit. Mm -hmm. And this is why the federal government is the largest single employer in the United States. Mm -hmm. If we shut down the government for any period of time. People are automatically furloughed. So we're talking about a significant portion of Americans who are suddenly without a job. Yeah. And on top of that, and who are not going to get paid, by the way. And who are not going to get unemployment. And they're not going to get unemployment. And then there's the people who have to work because they're essentials, like military and things like that, who, by the way, do not get paid the entire time that they're working. So the longer this goes on, the more detrimental it is to everyday Americans. And by yeah. the way, though the government actually does do things like inspections yeah. and making sure our roads and bridges are taken care of. Mm -hmm. They process our social security. They process Medicare and Medicaid, right? Um, they process, hey, PSA, right? These are government employees. Our FAA, government employees. So keeping the airplanes in the sky safe. Yeah. These are government employees. Port inspectors. These are government employees who mm -hmm. are keeping, uh, you know, illicit trades from coming in through our ports. So it's so ridiculous to me to say, oh, the government doesn't do anything. You would never notice. The government does so many things and we don't notice because it works well. Yeah. Yeah, that's 100% true. And I, and I think, you know, generally, yeah, you might not. I remember the last government shutdown, I didn't see super so much of a difference in my day-to-day -day life yeah that might be true for most people but you're absolutely right you have um, millions millions of workers we're talking about again what's the importance of the american worker you have millions of workers who who will have no job and will not get paid and and yeah if they they may pass a furlough bill and give them back pay but guess what that's not to pay their rent their bills all their all their financial situations like that you know they that that doesn't stop for them and so they're going to have real problems there. And it's, a you know, it really affects their lives. And then you have stuff like national parks, right, that that are, are shut down during those situations. You have um, 
general, again, federal agencies that deal with anything from infrastructure that help our municipalities, you know, funding for that type of stuff. Right. So it, it, it does create an issue and it's definitely not something that I don't think Kevin McCarthy wants or the president wants. No one, no one outside of the Freedom Caucus really wants a government shutdown. And that's something that would normally have bipartisan agreement. But yeah, you see these. We do have bipartisan agreement. We got a small contingent yeah. of extremist Republicans who want this to happen. And it's very, very dis, uh, disruptive. And yeah. if you look at the 2012 um, economy or the 2012 shutdown as well, it was very difficult. It downgraded our credit. So it actually, yeah, remember, that, that. remember that whole belief in our economy? Mm -hmm. Guess what is one of the reflections of that? Our credit rating. Yeah. That is that is a reflection of how much people believe in mm -hmm. us and believe that we're going to pay our debts. And if we start defaulting on debts, yeah. guess what happens? People stop believing in us. Yeah. So it's a really, really dangerous game to play for the long run of our economy. Yeah. That, and you also see economic contraction. Um, so every week that there is a government shutdown, you can expect a GDP contraction of 0.15%, right? So you're talking every week is going to overall affect the economy, ne economy negatively. So there's a part of me that is also thinking that this is straight partisan politics, that if they can help to tank the economy under Biden, that it will bold well for a Republican candidate in 2025. I, I was honestly thinking the same thing mentioned that that's like oh if they do this and then and then their gdp goes lower yep. who are they going to blame they're going to blame the president Biden. and it, which is again very interesting conspiracy theory for sure but you know but it's definitely no and, and i actually wouldn't dispute it either it definitely would be a, a very uh machiavellian political maneuver for sure i would also say though by the way that when you are the people who shut uh, caused the shutdown uh, you are not politically replaced, paid, by the way. So yeah. the uh, the Republicans lost their ass in the election following the 2012 sh shutdown. Yeah. Um, and so they also lost the presidency. So it's, you know, they've lost. Shutdowns. So it's it's a very. Shutdowns do not benefit people who start. Yeah, you're absolutely That's what it's, it's a flawed political strategy. If that's what it is, um, it's based on flawed information about this fiscal conservatism. This is AKA the deficit myth. And it is going to lose them an election anyway. Yeah. So I guess I just don't understand it. Um, I do know that it is being powered um, and the Freedom Caucus itself is powered by very, very powerful, extremely fiscally conservative mm -hmm. uh, groups like Club for Growth. Um, so that there's there's more than just these handful of political people yep. involved. They're the ones that are doing it, but there are big external um, influencers around that. I mean, yeah, that would make sense that they have a lot of funding from Club for Growth and other like like super free market um, conservative groups. And again, um, even with the deficit myth, I am a big supporter of, of fiscal responsibility. As are you. We've talked about this many times. Look, sure. um, and we've. We've talked about this budget issue many times. I honestly still think, well, honestly, what I think we should do, because I was thinking about it the other day, um, Texas has a two-year budget. Like, they do their budgets every two years. I don't understand why we can't do something like that, like a two-year budget, as opposed to a once-year budget, or what I'd really like to see, because we have, like, the NDAA, which is the defense budget, and I think the farm bill is kind of the same way for agriculture, if I'm not mistaken. Like have different appropriation budgets as opposed to one big budget, right? And do and do and do it for two year budgets. You know, 
stagger when you do them and then have, you know, the areas that aren't controversial you can get past and the areas that are in need of debate, you have those debates on those issues. But that's what happens with a lot of these budget issues is either one, you get to the last minute and then, you know, the 11th hour, like we're at now, and either we have to do a continuing resolution or come up with something that everyone hates, um, which is basically what's going to happen again this time too. We're going to get something that everyone hates because we waited till the 11th hour and not did anything. Well, I guess I guess that summer recess was super important, guys. You know, you probably could have worked it worked over this over the summer, but no, you needed to go on vacation. They usually are trying to like get stuff done, but this, I guess, was one of the complaints of against McCarthy is that him and other leadership weren't reaching out to other members during the break to kind of whip them for the appropriation. Yeah, exactly. Behind. Like work on work on this now, as opposed to like you know. So now we're in the 11th hour, but I think having those divided up will be great. And the other reason is, is again, you have these budget issues. I don't know if it was a continuing resolution or another thing, with, but it was over disaster funding, which was tied to the U funding for Ukraine. And that type of stuff happens all the time. We'll apply one funding to another. So if you vote no on it, oh, you're against disaster relief. You're against helping these people. And it's, it's a ridiculous thing. And both sides do it. Both sides like to... To tie one thing to another so that way they can keep it is and it's a disgusting political strategy and that's why i think we need to have more um you know a more divided uh, appropriation process where we're, we're focused on appropriating for each individual agency or department um or maybe not even each agency or department but you know groups of, of funding for different things if you get what i'm saying Thank yeah. you. What are the points of contention that folks have had? Because basically it's like an omnibus is what they call it, the omnibus yeah. appropriations bill. There's like omnibus. So part of it is that, that you, um, it's actually hard to get stuff through Congress, part of it, right? Especially through yeah. Congress and the Senate. And so if you pull it together, then everybody's got to come together and make this choice. And then they don't have, they don't get to nitpick. It's like, I don't like them, so I'm not going to approve their budget. So if you put it all together. So there's a lot of different like strategic reasons and, and frankly, logistics reasons that it came in on that, that way. Um, okay. It's just that because it's really, really hard to come to agreement on this and uh, you know, sometimes people, they will use things politically just to blockade something. So we cannot have the situation where the government just doesn't have funding or certain things don't have funding because somebody wants to make a political spectacle of it. Right? I mean, we could literally have this type of thing every single time if we broke it up. That's a, that so kind of part so of the you problem. Can have someone, you can have someone be like, oh, I don't want funding for this. And then we have no funding for one of the departments. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So it's and that could again be both sides too. You could see Democrats be like, ah, we don't want to, I don't want this funding for defense or national security right. or border security. So right. they're going to hold up funding for that. So that is right. uh, definitely put together. Yeah. I mean, here's the other thing, like, I, I want to give like our government some credit here too. Is that, um, <laughs> As Democrats do. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll just, it's our whole process of how we work together. So we, we didn't have a formal budget process until the seven days. Oh, really? Anyway. So this is something that's like, you know, we've, we've done over the last few decades. Um, but it was much more piecemeal before. Yeah. And then it got kind of like, you know, to be such a big monumental task and that we had a full process. So not saying that that's perfect, but you know, that that this these are these are things that we can create. Actually the Senate and the and the House both have the capacity to create these systems. 
to work better. So they 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 do and they should and they're not. And that's why we're in this situation. And they just they just they just it's just a very simple process. Just can do this earlier. Just pass this thing. Just pass this thing. What time is it? It's like enough time this. Because my clock is all messed up because I had the the it unplugged. <laughs> um oh you wanted to talk about impeachment. <laughs> oh yeah, we're finally doing the impeachment inquiry. And I feel we're like I need to talk about this as someone <laughs> that there's no evidence for. So this well, is gonna be I'll tell you look, here's the thing. I haven't the reason we I haven't brought this up on the show yet um is because i feel like what we have is a bunch of puzzle pieces with some of them missing i feel like we we have things that i do think need to be investigated so i am supportive of this impeachment inquiry and i hope it's fair and i hope it's thorough and i hope it's based on facts and not based on political uh motivations which obviously there's political motivations so i know i'm already off there but here's the thing and Ken Buck actually posed, who's a big Tea Party conservative out of Colorado, for anyone who knows. Ken Buck is not like a rhino. But he's like, he put out an op-ed, I don't know in which newspaper, but he said it best where he's like, you know, we've turned these impeachments political, whether it's Trump or it's Biden, we shouldn't be just continuously doing these impeachments. And then the more I think about it, I think, um, ever since Bill Clinton, every president has had some sort of political impeachment threat or impeachment brought upon them. There is uh, Bush had people calling for his impeachment over Iraq. You had people calling for Obama's impeachment. It's it's become so frequent that it's diminished the the power of the impeachment and the meaning of the impeachment. Um, I am not saying impeach or don't impeach. I am saying I want more information as to what evidence there is, if there is any, against Joe Biden. It does seem there's a lot of evidence against the Biden family about some sort of network. You're, of course, disagreeing with me. Because because there were significant reports that were put out by the special investigation that were mm -hmm. happening in Congress. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing. There's there's no evidence. Um, all they, look, what the DOJ just got Hunter Biden on a, on a weapons charge. Who gives a shit? Yeah. That, I mean, really, I think, yes, one nothing. of our audience members brought it up. Are we going to talk about Hunter Biden? And I'm like, do I really want to? I don't care about a weapon charge. I really don't. Say, just take we both agree. Like, because in, you know, people who had firsthand knowledge were saying that, no, this was never related to any networks. I mean, it's it's really, yeah. and listen, here's, here's what people are getting kind of like twisted and worked up about. Yes, it was influence peddling. This is what happens in Washington, D.C. This is something that happens. I don't like it. I think it sucks. I would love for it to stop. Um, but it's not illegal. It's not illegal what was done, right? Um, and I'm all for, we want to get laws that say no family members of, of people who are in power can lobby or can become foreign registered agents. I'm all for it. Let's do it. Um, because I think it's horseshit that we have this kind of loophole. But at this point in time, Hunter Biden is a moron <laughs> and a junkie, and he couldn't have put together a deal to save his life, and Joe Biden had nothing to do with it. And that's very clear. This impeachment is ridiculous. It's a waste of time. Yeah. Kevin McCarthy basically just gave it to the far right wing of his party so they would shut up. It was a stupid political strategy on the part of, of McCarthy. Right? <laughs> right? They're like, great, we'll take the impeachment, and we're going to threaten your job, too. Um and so it's just, I think it's, it's a waste of everybody's time chasing, chasing our tail. And um, for, for somebody that we know that has a significant amount of problems, 
right? Yeah. Like this is, you're not going to find anything new that hasn't already been found because listen, public has been trying to find this for years at this point. And we know that if there was something that we found, it would already have come up. Yeah. And so I just think that it's, it's a big waste of time. Um, and, uh, that's where I'm at. Anyway, we'll see what happens there. We'll, we'll progress. I'll report on the story more as it develops. As it, <laughs> as it develops. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Unless you want to, unless you want to roll out on, uh, Bobert's big date to, uh. Oh, yes. I forgot my vape pen too. I was going to bring that just to like, ah, how dare she. But yeah, she. Here's the thing. It wasn't political, though. That's the. That's, it that's wasn't just, political. Let's remember this. It was because she was one comment that's been eating at. Okay, yeah. go. We have our other Sean here who owns Ollie. Regardless of what happened in that venue, the first thing I saw was what she was wearing to that play, and I don't give a shit. That's perfectly fine. Wear what you want to wear, but. If a Democrat came walking out of a public event dressed like that, every Republican in the world would lose their fucking mind about how we have such a lack of morals in this country. Yeah. So it, Sean, Sean here is saying that because Bobert, Bobert was wearing a very sexy and revealing dress, that um, he, he says that if it was a Democrat, that they would have gotten a lot of flack for being having lack of morals. How dare, how dare she she flaunt her sexuality? Playing like grab the titties in the in the musical. Right, right. I mean, including that to get to that. <laughs> the wiener, grab the titties. Um, yeah, if you're going to be inappropriate at a play, then don't be. I mean, I'm we're, I'm a theater kid. I've been in a play. I, you know, please don't be rude and don't try to grab people or like vape in front of us. Yeah, um, I'm really trying hard not to to slut shame and stuff like that too. Like, just be like, hey, look. Um, I will say though that it was very trashy, kind of overall. And I'll it, be honest, I have a massive crush on. I would love to see. Sorry, I, I just would love to see our our elected <laughs> officials like hold themselves to a standard worthy of the office. <laughs> perfect. How about that? Perfect wording. But you know, like, listen, Bobo, you want to go slut it up at home, get those titties out, whatever it takes. That's fine with me. I'm gonna have to revisit that video. <laughs> Maybe not at like a show where kids are there. <laughs> There we go. Let's take it well, out. Well, you know, maybe she's trying to like do some pedophile stuff as well. Why is she there with kids? With sexing it up with kids? Well, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. Let's yeah. just leave it at that. We, we're over here making accusations about Lambo like, being a pedophile. Let's stand it. But let's like store some decorum to the office. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us here today for a Democrat and Republican walk into a bar. I have been your host, Democrat Cindy Banyan. And I've been your Republican, Sean Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us. We would love to have you join us and help us on our journey with a subscription. Get this episode and all of our video episodes directly sent to your inbox for only $4.99 a month. You can check that out on our plans and pricing page at BigMouthMediaFL.com. You can get our everything subscription for $19.99 and get all of our wonderful podcasts and articles sent directly to you. Thanks so much for joining us here. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.